Father in heaven, I want to thank you for being with us all day long. You have kept us awake and alert, and uh, we just ask again that we would um, have the Holy Spirit to teach us. Lord, we are incapable of understanding truth on our own. So we ask that you would lead in our time. May we see Jesus clearly. May we find the hope, the help, and the assurance that we need. May we be practicing and living out true biblical purity in our everyday lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, um, some of the things that are necessary for life, can you think of anything that's absolutely necessary to be alive? Air. Air. Water. Water. Um, heat. <laughs> yeah, you guys were in here when it was freezing cold, so heat, yes. Food, you need these things. These are like the absolute essentials to stay alive and to stay healthy. There was uh, just on the 2nd of August, there was a town in the news in, um, in Minnesota um, whose water supply was contaminated. The whole town. And, uh, and they found traces of, of gasoline and some other chemicals in there. And people were drinking the water. I mean, what do you do? You can, you can buy water. But, I mean, it's a small town, so there's not a whole lot of grocery stores. So when the whole town needs water, they run out super quickly. And, um, and so there was this one family, and they, they started getting sick. Um, they, were, they were drinking it, and the, they started to break out. And, uh, and this one whole family, they got eczema. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's... Not very good. But then, <laughs> then the water started to turn orange. And they were like, in Michigan we have some rust in the water, and I don't drink it. I'm from Maine, and you can drink water anywhere in the state, and it's fine. But in Michigan, be careful, the water is kind of rusty. And, and you can like hold your glass up to the light, and you can kind of see little rust dust particles in the water. So it's, it's safer to buy water. And, uh, and if you're listening to this on Audioverse and you live in Michigan and you drink the water, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Make sure you keep that there. Okay? So they, the water was turning orange and, and, and they have to find a new source of water. And like they would wash their clothes and the water would come into the washing machine and their white clothes would come out orange <laughs> because the water was so polluted staining their clothes. That's how bad it got. So everyone was, you know, on the news or saying, don't drink the water, go buy water. People were going like miles to find water. And uh, clean water is one of our most basic needs, right? We can live without food for a few days, for a while. But how long can you live without water? How long? Three days. That's actually pretty close. You can live without water for three days. You can live without food for probably practically a month. But water is so essential. Your body is like almost 90-something percent water. Am I right? 70 percent water? 73 percent? 90? 90, 70. Same thing, right? <laughs> okay. I did it. Those are not on my notes. Okay. That's, up. That's a bonus for you guys. What do you do when the water becomes polluted? If you have your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 2. Find there is a city 
whose water supply was polluted. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. This is right after Elijah had been translated into heaven. Elisha goes with him, they cross the Jordan, they, they go to the spot, and then in front of his very eyes, Elijah it hops on that chariot, ascends to heaven, and Elisha comes back into Jericho, to the school of the prophets, and these people, you know, they're like, hey, maybe, maybe the Lord just picked him up and dropped him on another mountain. Can we go look for him? He's like, no. And then they ask, they keep bugging him, and so he sends them out, they come back, and they didn't find him, and he's like, I told you so. Didn't I tell you he wouldn't be there? And that's the setting we get. And these men come to him in verse 19. The men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the ground is barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the, the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Here you have a story, and I, I think it's pretty interesting to notice that the first thing that they say is, in verse 19, they say to him, please notice, the situation of the city is what? Pleasant. It's pleasant, but the water is, is barren. The, these guys, the situation of the city is pleasant. This is part of the Jordan Valley that, you know, possibly could have remained close to Eden when God, you know, took, took Eden away. Very beautiful, very lush place to, to be. And when, uh, in Genesis chapter 13, just turn there, I'm going to give you a little history lesson before we move on. Genesis chapter 13, keep your finger in 2 Kings because we're coming right back. Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. The Bible says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. And then Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, in verse 12, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. So here, they're, Abraham and Lot, they're dividing their, their land. And you just look at, just from the landscape view, Lot sees this place. This place is well watered. The grass is growing. And it's so nice that he says, just like the garden of the Lord. Okay, this is probably the, the most beautiful spot to live in. You know, we like our ocean views, our, our lake views here in Ontario in Toronto, lakefront property, oceanfront property. But this was like, you know, garden front property, the place to live. So Lot, he takes the best place and he goes there. And then, you know the, the whole story when, you know, Sodom is destroyed, the Lord burns the two cities and consumed most of the plain of Jordan. And for, for a long time, this, most of this area was desolate, but there was one spot that was just, I mean, it was left intact in like perfect, perfect order. And that was in Jericho. 
And so when, you know, when the children of Israel marched out of Egypt and they enter into the promised land, they go into Jericho, and what happens to Jericho? What happened? It's destroyed. The city, the walls, yeah, she's singing the song, and the walls came tumbling down, okay? The city is destroyed, and then if you turn to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter what? Chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. After they spared Rahab because she hid the messengers that Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who raises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. Did God ever intend for anyone to live in Jericho again? No. Cursed be the one who builds Jericho. This place was supposed to remain desolate as an object lesson for anyone who walked by that apostasy, idolatry, you know, that is the end result. Destruction, desolation. The city was never to be rebuilt. And then you get four, nearly 400 years later this curse that, that Joshua pronounced actually comes to fulfillment in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34. 1 Kings chapter 16. What verse did I say? 34. Verse 33, for context, And Ahab made wooden images. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Heel of Bethel built what? Jericho. And he laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. So all throughout the history, this place that was just like the Garden of the Lord, this beautiful land, destroyed by the fire from Sodom and Gomorrah, then destroyed in the land of Jericho. God never intended anyone to live there. It was, a curse had been pronounced upon it, and then when they build it up, He actually fulfills the prophecy. But yet, when Elisha comes around in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19, the men of the city, they come to Him and they say, Look, the situation of the city is pleasant. Do you see a contradiction there? Based on the history of the place, that God never intended anyone to live there. And they're sitting in Jericho, living in Jericho, and they're actually thinking that the situation is pretty good. It's pleasant. Do you know um, T.S. Eliot? said, humankind cannot bear very much reality. What does that mean? Men prefer to believe what they prefer to be true. Sometimes we just think that, you know, just because the Lord said this 400 years ago, 4,000 years ago, you know, it's okay if I don't really follow it. But in reality, Sometimes we deceive ourselves. We just want to believe what we want to believe. We do what we want to do 
no matter what, right? Some of us, we just, we're headstrong, stubborn, I'm a stubborn person. And no matter what people tell us, and if they tell us especially that we can't do something, what do we want to do? We want to do it, right? Some of you are more like me than I thought. <laughs> the city is pleasant. They're saying this. It kind of reveals the true condition about the people, that they're blind to the spiritual needs that they're experiencing. The place, the water's not even good. But the situation of the city is somehow still pleasant. What happens when you can't drink the water? What happens when the ground is barren? Let me read you this. Many of us deceive, our, deceive ourselves on the true condition of our lives. We think everything is fine, that life is pleasant, but in reality we're building in a wasteland. The situation of the city is pleasant, but in reality, it's not. God never intended anyone to live there, to live in that spot, to be in that position in their lives. And the people of the town were deceived to think that it was okay. Verse 19. The situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the ground is barren. When the water, when you can't drink the water, you have to go somewhere else to get your thirst satisfied. But something about the water, something about the poison in the water actually prevented the ground from producing any fruit, any crops. They couldn't grow. It says the ground is barren. So you find that there's water, but nothing grows. When nothing grows, when there's no vegetation, you get, like, if you've never been to the southern United States in the summertime when the grass dies and the dirt is there and the wind blows and it's just like annoying, <laughs> right? You guys know what I'm talking about. When there's, when there's no water, when nothing's growing, when the ground is barren, there's just dust. And you breathe it in, you cough it out. It's just, it's miserable. Nothing is good. And, and if something did grow because the water was poisonous, whatever grew, you couldn't eat. The water was bad and the ground was barren. Even in verse 22, uh, the Bible says that, so the water remains healed to this day. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, the, the situation of the city, was it really pleasant? Was it a good place to live? Would you want to stay there? Hey, Jericho, this great city. No, you wouldn't, right? So why were they staying there? Why were they living there? You know, I think sometimes many of us in our own personal spiritual lives realize that our life is polluted. But just like these guys in Jericho, we find ourselves not doing anything to change it. Find that sin has a grip on our hearts, but in reality, like there's nothing that, that you or I have done to change the condition in our hearts. And so day to day we think that the situation of the city of my life is pleasant. But in reality, we've built on the foundation that crumbles like clay, like dust. Our lives are polluted, like the water, our lives give off a poison 
the poison of sin. I've met with some some people, as I've mentioned in my work as a chaplain, and one person came to me and, and because of the situation of her life and how you know people had done things to her and, and um, how basically she felt like her life was useless at that point. Like because all of these things in her experience had happened, that there was nothing good that can come out of it. Like God could forgive her, yeah, but, but to make something actually good come out of my life now would be impossible. And I don't think she's alone in feeling that. I think many people today actually believe that, that even if God forgave, that really we'd be happy with just forgiveness. But God actually wants to heal and bring something good out of our lives. He doesn't just want to take us and make us better. He wants to make us whole and do something good. But the life polluted by sin leaves a feeling of helplessness, of despair, despondency, and even sometimes uselessness. We feel like God couldn't even use us if we paid Him. Of course, we don't need to pay God. Sexual sin, moral failure, selfish gratification... People feel like there's no hope. But what's interesting is how God brings healing in the story. How God turns things around. Verse 21 and 22, the Bible says, He went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from it. There shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day. Despite the fact that they were living in a place God never intended them to live, and the water was bad, and the ground was barren, God healed the waters, and they remained healed even to, let's just say to this day, right? Because God is willing, even though He never intended us to go down the road that we did, He's willing to make things right in our lives, and to work with the situations that we give Him, because He wants to make people ready to meet Him when He comes. He wants to heal the waters of your life and my life. So we're going to look at um, the statement. Many are the spiritual lessons to be gathered from the story of the healing of the waters. The new cruise, the salt, the springs are all highly symbolic. Prophets and Kings, page 231. Each of these things has a unique lesson to present to us. For the sake of time, we're just going to look at a couple. In Turn to Matthew chapter 5. The same lesson of casting the salt in the water is the same lesson that Jesus tried to teach his disciples when he said, you are the salt of the earth. Matthew chapter 5, looking at verse 13. And when I get there, I'll say amen. Are you there? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? If it is then good for nothing but thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If salt loses saltiness, what do you salt it with? Salt. <laughs> salt. <laughs> More salt. He makes a comparison. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hit. The salt is compared from verse 13 to verse 14, the light. The light is what? We'll read the next verse. Verse 15, 
nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The salt of the earth, the light of the world is the gospel of Christ. You remember Miriam this afternoon, she, she gave her sermon and she said that, that Jesus was the light and the life and the light was the life of men. The gospel is the salt that comes into the water. The gospel of Jesus, when he enters into the heart, can change the pollution, the, the death, the decay, and the poison. The salt is the essential element, the essential ingredient for purification to take place. If in your life, you realize that the devil has a hold on your heart, if ever in the future or ever in the past. The only thing necessary is the gospel for cleansing. You guys tired? <laughs> I'm tired too, don't worry. They would take the salt, they put it in a bowl and they cast it at the source of the water. Salt from Prophets and Kings, page 231, mingling with the polluted spring, purified its water and brought life and blessing where before had been blighting and death. In our lives, controlled by the, by the devil, by sin, by perpetual, habitual acts of self-gratification and pleasure-seeking, our lives have been giving off this pollution to those around us. Our influence has been contaminating those around us. But when the salt was cast into the water, mingled with the polluted springs of our life, when the gospel came into our hearts, the Lord brought healing to the life, to the water. Jesus healed the water. It wasn't the salt that Elisha threw in, right? Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. Not the salt. I have healed it. Jesus is the one who heals the polluted waters of our life. Amen? Amen. Say it louder because you guys need to wake up. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Jesus healed the water. Turn to John chapter 4. You know the story very well. We're not going to read the whole thing. The woman at the well, she comes to Jesus. Her life spent wasted on men who used her, left her, divorced her. By society, she was looked down upon. She had to go to, to draw water when no one else was around. Basically, a life wasted, we would say. No good for society, no good for the world. Jesus talks to her in verse, verse 10. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. Sorry, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The water that Jesus gave healed the woman. Her life that had been probably miserable, probably unhappy, unfulfilled, was made whole when she met Jesus. She went out, she converted the whole town. 
we would look at this woman and say she is good for nothing. The, the disciples looked at her and they're like, why is Jesus even talking to her? But when she was healed, she became the agent to saving her whole community. Jesus heals the waters. And he doesn't just heal it, he makes them useful. Life-giving. He can do that for both you and me. The waters of our life may be polluted, the ground barren, but just like Hosea says, it's time to break up the foul ground, the fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. Hosea 10, verse 12. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. You can write it down. Our God will abundantly pardon. Is there one here who dares not claim this promise? Is there one who will say, I am so sinful that this does not apply to me? Put away such thoughts. Christ will accept you, polluted by sin though you may be, if you will come to him with contrition of soul. He invites all to come into the light of his presence. Then why should you remain away? We want these doubting ones to go from this meeting strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Jesus will heal the polluted life. Amen? Anything that we've done in the past, any stench, any smell coming from the waters of our life, our influence, our relationships, Jesus can heal the water. We've, we've talked a lot about these sins. We want these doubting ones to go from this meeting strong and in the power of the Lord, right? This meeting right here, today. We want everyone to leave here cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You know, this whole seminar empowered, this whole conference, talking about how the Holy Spirit works. I'm going to share one more quote and then I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit in one verse. And then we'll close in prayer. To the heart that has become purified, all is changed. Transformation of character is the testimony to the world of an indwelling Christ. The Spirit of God produces a new life in the soul, bringing the thoughts and desires into obedience to the will of Christ, and the inward man is renewed into the image of God. Weak and erring men and women show to the world that the redeeming power of grace can cause the faulty character to develop into the symmetry and abundant fruitfulness. We can be used by Jesus in this cause, even if our lives have been given over to sin. Even if the devil has had more power in our lives than Christ in the past, God can use us to further his cause. Use us in ways that we can't even imagine. If you have your Bibles, our last verse, turn to the book of John. John chapter 7. Starting in verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not given yet 
because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Anyone who wants to come to Jesus can drink of the life-giving water, and it's the job of the Holy Spirit to fill that person with the water of life. The Holy Spirit has been given to us today to bring, first of all, to cleanse the water, the polluted water of our life, and then to bring that living water to other people, flowing out to those in need. And you and I are the agents of that grace, of that life-giving water. Take the salt, take the water, and share it with people we know. There is an element of evangelism that brings purity, that brings refinement in our characters. Not just the gospel in our lives, but the giving of the gospel to others. And you and I have the opportunity. So if you're tempted to think your life has been polluted, you're good for nothing, you can't do anything good. This story of Elisha healing the water is an illustration to us today that God can bring good out of bad. The situation may not be what God ever intended, but He can bring something good even if we've messed up. And the Lord wants to heal the water of our life. Two, two appeals. One, if your heart if your life is polluted and you need the gospel, ask the Lord to cleanse you and to purify your heart. Second, if you have not been sharing this life-giving water to other people, make a commitment today to do that. Because this is how the world is made clean. How we can make the world ready for Jesus' coming is by sharing this life-giving water. Do you want to do that? Do you want to make those decisions today? I'm not going to ask you which one you're making or raising your hand to. But if you want to make that decision to give, ask the Lord to cleanse your heart, ask the Lord to use you to cleanse, just raise your hand. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, heal the polluted waters of our hearts. Some of us, like my friend I mentioned, feel that you can't do anything good in our hearts. We know people maybe that have been living as if there was no hope for them. Lord, we pray that the cleansing water of Jesus would come over us, that you would heal the wounded hearts, and that you would use us to bring refreshment and purifying water to the world the agent of cleaning, the agents of purity, clearly outlined in scriptures, are what we need. We need the water of life, the gospel message to permeate our being, to motivate us to reach out to our friends and our communities. You have asked us and called us to share the gospel with those that we love, not because it, it'll just perfect our own character, but because people are longing and hurting who need the same hope and assurance that we have. So Lord, purify our hearts. Forgive us for the false ideas, the false actions, the things that we've done that are wrong and, and for the times that we've knowingly disobeyed you. Cleanse our hearts from all of that Help us to put our energy and our efforts towards leading people to Jesus. 
you have promised to heal the waters of our life. Do that now. Hear the prayers of those in this room who are crying out to you, either on behalf of themselves or on behalf of those that they love, and work in a powerful way. Jesus is coming soon. Help us to do our part to hasten your coming. May we be faithful, and when you come, may we be found those among those who are pure, ready to see Jesus and be translated. Be with us now as we prepare for Sabbath. Be with us tonight at our meeting. And we ask again that you would pour out your spirit on us, that we would be able to receive you and be filled by the presence and the power of Christ. This is our prayer. This is what we desire. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.